So it continues to surprise me that sales teams have so much power. And then I, if I can put a challenge out to the product managers, product marketers, I would like to see us, you know, most products are developed in an agile and iterative way. Now, you know, we got two week sprints, four week sprints, maybe six week sprints. But then on the deployment side, they're monolithic, taking weeks, months, you know, because sometimes years to deliver any value to new customers. You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hello, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go To Market Disrupted. Today, our guest is Donna Weber. Donna is a globally recognized expert in customer onboarding. For more than two decades, she's helped high growth startups and established companies create customers for life. She is a recognized customer success thought leader, strategist, and influence. Donna is also the author of a highly rated and award-winning book, Onboarding Matters, How Successful Companies Transform New Customers into Loyal Champions. Today, we're going to talk about some of the principles outlined in her book, and how the practice of onboarding has evolved over the last two years since the book was initially published. We'll also touch on the impact successful onboarding has on long-term growth and on go-to-market success. I'm incredibly pleased to have Donna with us today. Donna, thank you a lot for coming in and sharing your insight. Appreciate it. Um, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for thinking of me and, and including me in this important podcast and conversation. And I gave the short version of your bio, but I know that there's more going on and you've done more. And I always like to ask guests to share, take a few minutes and share their journey, their path, how you got here. And I'm sure you've got some interesting and exciting things to share with us. Well, absolutely. I've been working in, in business to business, SaaS, high tech uh, for much of my career. In fact, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I've been breathing this for most of my life. And um, I help companies keep their customers and buy more. And so it's not just about delivering a great product, even though I'm sure those listening have great products. It's all about delivering value to your customers. It's all about, you know, helping them transform their lives and their businesses so they stick around and buy more. Excellent. So when you look at the book that you published back 2021, 2022 timeframe, What's changed when you think about the landscape that the SaaS industry is in today? What, what, what are your thoughts about how onboarding is impacting what SaaS companies do? And hopefully some of those companies have adopted some of the principles outlined. But what's changed high level? Well, let me start with why I wrote the book because, and why I, I, I've, I specialize in customer onboarding because you know, I've been around in the, since customer success in the early days, customer success has been around about 10 years. And I, I was embracing that at the beginning. And then I was in 2016, I launched my own business to, to be a consultant, to help companies do this. And I was going to conferences and attending webinars and talking to leaders and talking to companies and going, why isn't anyone talking about the most important part of the customer journey at the very beginning? Everyone was talking about as a customer success 1.0 in that time was very reactive and it was all about 
renewals and, and, and reducing churn. And everyone was really engaging in the last 90 days. And I'm like, this is so obvious. Why isn't anyone addressing this? And then I had that um, aha moment. Oh, that's me. I, I need to address this. And through my, throughout my career, I've been helping the customers obtain value. So it's not just about, you know, internally making sure things work, but really making sure customers adopt and leverage the, the solutions. So, so I saw a gap and realized that's something I can address and I have unique expertise to do that. So I rolled up my sleeves and wrote the book. And there was, you know, people weren't really talking about onboarding then. I mean, when I started uh, specializing in it, I wondered if maybe, you know, it wasn't resonating. And now what's changed, there is a whole landscape and category of onboarding software vendors. There's a G2 category now and people are talking about it. And I'm not the only one who's, you know, trying to convince people that is the most important part of the, of the customer journey. A lot more companies have customer onboarding teams and they're starting to kind of build some maturity into that. As I think back when you and I first met, which I think was probably around that early, late night, 2019, 2020 time frame, if if not, maybe even a little earlier, I, I think about the book. And while I grew up in the industry, similar to you, I came to the SaaS business model late. It felt very timely. But as I pan back on it now, it was almost as if you were calling out sort of an alert or alarm, and I'll use the metaphor the, or the example or analogy, the canary in the coal mine, right? That things had not yet fallen apart badly enough that people were paying attention to this. And now as we roll forward, some four years plus later, when you look back on it and I looked at the book and I had, remember, I pulled it off my shelf and I skimmed it like for the second time to refamiliarize before we met, met here today, I said, some of this is just so today with that lens I have on today is so common sense. Why were we so, I'm going to say it dense back in 2018 about this. These are concepts that just made so much sense. In fact, I made a note to myself. I said, some of this is framework or fundamental basics, things like buyer's remorse, you know, coming to understand that that's a natural process and not just when I go buy a new car, does that happen? It happens to companies or things like the need to build trust, to let people know some of these things. So I'm, I'm curious from a question standpoint today, when you look on the book and then look at what you're doing to help companies keep, keep going with growing customers for life, are these things still relevant? Do they still play out in the same way or have, have things changed at all? Well, they absolutely are still relevant, Mike. And I'll say, unfortunately, I will say in the world of B2B tech, business to business tech, there's this idea that you're selling to a company, that you have an account, that you acquire a logo. <laughs> and in the world of business to consumer, I, th I think that that world understands like the psychology of buying and the psychology of selling. They, ha they have some understanding around that. In the world of B2B, and I'll you know, focus mostly on tech, there's more of a focus on the, the product, on the solution, on the technology. And there's not so much a focus on that. You know, the reality is we're still delivering our solution to people. And those people happen to be consumers in their day-to-day -day lives. And there happens to have been a consumer revolution 
in the last 10 years where consumers have so much more power. You know, I'm talking to somebody today, an operating partner at a private equity firm saying that, you know, he didn't know the exact number, but about 70% of people who engage with sales reps have, have, you know, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of like far down their, their review and selection process already. And so that's the natural way that, that the consumers respond. And I, I see that in B2B, we have a huge opportunity to really understand that at the end of the day, we're the people who use our products, the people who buy the products are people, you know, even though there's a company, they're all still people who have subconscious that reacts in ways we don't even know, we don't even realize that have needs that need to be met, that, you know, that their brains go through buyer's remorse, that they, they get endorphins hits when you deliver value. And I, I, don't, I don't think B2B is really getting that. Yeah, I, really? I see that as a huge okay. opportunity. And that's one reason what? why my next book is about value. Okay. So one of the things I would say to your credit, and you wrote the book about onboarding and some of the early stage principles of customers, customer success. And hopefully that means that it's going to be a fruitful venture for you that this adoption curve is not moving very quickly. I'm curious, you know, you... You used in the book the, the the case study, I think it was Ace Analytics, kind of as the example, and it was a company you worked for, which I know you came up with a, an acronym or the, 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 the cover name for it. And you outlined sort of a framework. Can you walk us through what that basic framework looks like in terms of how to maximize the potential of onboarding and obviously the broader issue of customer success? Absolutely. So what, one of the, the issues that I, that, I, that I saw and that I continue to see is that companies equate onboarding with implementation. And they go, okay, all we have to do is deploy our product and value is delivered and we're done. And in, 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 in the world of subscription software, you need to build relationships because you're no longer selling a house. You're now renting a house. And customers really need to see that ongoing value to keep spending money with you. So I created a six-stage framework, which I call the orchestrated onboarding framework, to start building enduring relationships, not just deploy the product. So the six stages include uh, one, embark, two, uh, handoff, three, kickoff, four, adopt, five, review, and six, expand. And the idea is that the first two stages, the embark and handoff stages are big picture strategic. I'm sure we're all familiar with Simon Sinek says, start with why. So we start with why. We're just talking about the subconscious brain. The subconscious brain needs to understand that why, the big picture, so that to kind of make sense of things. And then we can start getting tactical with all the migrations and integrations and customizations that are have to do with the actual deployment. But when you dive right into that, people don't often are customers aren't accountable. They're they're not following through. They're not following your timeline because they, they don't get it. And so by, if we slow down at the beginning to provide that strategic overview and how we're going to work together, especially for our high touch engagements, then then they're going to everything is going to move much more smoothly and swiftly downstream. You know, I'm hearing sort of a 
as I think about some of my clients, there is this dichotomy that happens inside an organization, right? The, the, the deal gets closed. It's generally a long sales cycle. There's a massive celebration, maybe even today, even over celebration. And then there is this implementation machine that starts with all of the professional types and the people that show up that are technically focused and project focused. And what I'm hearing you describe, at least at this stage at the framework, is overlaying something that sounds more human, more emotional, to more or less, and I'm going to use my term, I don't think that's a term to use in a book, but to cement the relationship so that you can take these people through the more mechanized part of it. Is that sort of the approach of the framework? Absolutely. As you're sharing that, an image came to mind of uh, climbing Mount Everest. And so what happens is you, you can reach the top of the summit. You can summit. You can get those great views. You can celebrate. You can put your flag down. You can take your photos. But guess what? You're only halfway there. You know, a lot of people are very challenged by getting back down the descent. In a similar way, you, you, you know, you, you close a new deal, you bag a new logo, you celebrate. But when you look at the cost of acquiring customers and the cost of onboarding customers, what I see are customer companies are delaying profits and eroding margins because if they don't deliver value to customers in such a way that they're going to stick around and buy more, they've actually poured all that money down the drain and they're not going to make that descent off of Everest. When you look at the engagements you're involved in helping customers, do you see this as something that happens inside the customer success organization, or is it something that has to more broadly apply to the organization as a whole? Well, I call my framework orchestrated onboarding because it, it's not a solo artist out there playing the violin. It's about an orchestra, everyone creating a score that everyone follows. And especially during onboarding, it's this unique time where there's many people involved. You likely have sales people involved. You might have marketing people involved. You have maybe um, an onboarding implementation or services team, education, enablement, support, customer success. There's a lot going on. And so those, those teams need to work together to deliver an orchestrated, seamless experience. So for example, you don't want the first person post-sales to engage with a customer and they're like, hey, Mike. Tell me what you purchased and why. What are your success outcomes that you desire? Like, you know, the customer's going to be like, shoot me now. I've shared all right. that already. Right. They don't want to Several do that. times by the yeah. time that person yeah, shows up. exactly. Yeah. And they don't want, you don't want all these touch points. You don't want big gaps where customers are sitting around worrying, ruminating about what's going on because I haven't heard from anyone since the deal closed. So, so that's, that's where we create this orchestrated experience so customers have a great first impression and get value as quickly as possible. What do you see as the critical changes in these orchestrated teams, these cross-functional teams? In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm I come from sales background, okay? Quota carrying, bag carrying, that kind of thing, celebrate the deal happened because of me. Are there things that sales has to be aware of while they're selling? And things have to be prepared to do as they close the deal that's different with this framework and the approach you're prescribing. And if so, share it with us. What do you, what do you recommend? How do you 
say sales needs to reshape behaviors or help engage better. Absolutely. And I am smiling because if I could have things my way, I would have sales reps not receive their full comp until customers are successfully onboarded. (laughs) Because here's what I see happening. They'll close any deal, you know, they get, you know, because they're trying to close out the quarter and then the implementation teams are struggling to cram these poor fit customers in and onboarding is taking longer and it's costing the company a lot of money. And then those customers churn anyway, which is again, meaning you're not making it down your, your Everest climb, you know, you're, you've run out of oxygen. What I want. So if you to- don't get back to ground level off the mountain and you die on the hillside, it's kind of a wasted journey is what you're saying, <laughs> right? You don't get to tell anybody about it. You can't brag about the fact you yeah. saw Everest if you, if you don't make it back. Exactly. So what I would like to see, and I include uh, some of this in my framework, like the embark stage, actually best practices is, is to start onboarding before the deal even closes so that you show customers or prospects the journey ahead. So they're not just kind of, okay, we close the deal and then they don't know what's happening. They know, need to know what's expected of them, how they're going to be accountable, timelines, what data they need. They need to know all that. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. It sounds to me, and I stayed in sales a long time, and I actually went from the, the, kind, of, the kind of person, probably if you were in the customer success fight, you had a picture of me in your cube with a bunch of bullseye circles around it. You were probably throwing darts at me. I was that, I was that guy, but I learned and evolved to become a more account-centric person. And one of the things that I learned, and I'm not suggesting, this is not about me, but I learned that it's a best practice, I think, is to start setting the expectations while I'm selling. Absolutely. Here's what this is going to look like. I'm going to exit as your primary contact and somebody else is going to show up and here, and here is their picture more or less. And you're suggesting that this embark process or like part of it should be bleeding into the selling and closing process. Correct. Is that, yeah, absolutely. Right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It may even mean that the, the, the customer success leader or manager speaks, you know, at a certain, at a certain stage of the sales cycle, maybe 85, 90%, you know, they'll, they, they speak with the buyer to help them get ready. One company I worked with, the CFO was evaluating products for dig, d- digital signature tool. And one of them said, here's, you know, they showed them, here's your dedicated customer success manager in the contract. They had all the things that the company was accountable for and timeframes and that what the customer had to be accountable for and timeframes and time commitments, that was all in the contract. And he told me this company has their stuff together. I want to work with them. So the reality is it can be a key differentiator and it can uh, shorten the sales cycle. And in the world of, of tech, you know, that things are becoming, products are becoming, solutions are becoming more and more commoditized. And what can really set you apart is more the relationship, the services, 
that what you know what what you they, they, how you engage with your customers that that is becoming more important. So that's a trend that I see happening. It's not just about what you're selling; it's about you know how you're engaging with the customer. And you know, a lot of research shows people are are happy to pay more for a greater experience. If you think about it from the customer standpoint. This is a massive investment. I, I have been the customer of acquiring CRM systems over the years. And I settled on one, and I won't give them a plug here, but let's just say that they're familiar and they're well-known. And one of the biggest distinctions they did in the selling process, sort of following some of your principles, was they started setting me up for the implementation, if you will, the onboarding, if you will, probably Nearly right after the second demo, right after we saw the product for the second time and started asking detailed questions, they started earmarking things that we would either learn more about or have to address in the implementation of the onboarding cycle, or they would modify things onboarding that we asked about that would be covered there. So it was sort of an expectation list, if you will, implied as we were demoing the product, which I thought was amazing because we walked in with sort of eyes open, vision ahead, knowing what we were going to see. And we also had this reminder list that, hey, Bob said we'd see X in the implementation of the onboarding. Where is it? Or yes, it's right here. Or oops, he forgot to pass it on. Let me cycle back to you and finish that up. It was fine. It, it worked really well. So yeah, no, I, nobody, I, see, I see some of that. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to be blindsided. No. And- and, and, you know, if I may share a couple of consumer experiences I've had recently, we've been doing work on our house and we were meeting with different vendors. And one of them, we, we chose the vendor, you know, we signed, we, we paid our deposit and then we didn't hear a thing. And, they, you know, he said, oh, you'll, you know, you'll meet with the technician. And, and we were just kind of waiting around for two to three weeks, just kind of waiting. And then guess what? In that gap, I started ruminating, going into fear and doubt. You know, that's of what course, our brains do and go, did we pick that? Did we lose our deposit? Did we pick the wrong vendor? We did a lot of analysis about vendors. Another company we worked with, like we booked the, the initial call for the technician to come out. They immediately sent a link to a website. Here's what to expect. Here's what you need mm-hmm. to prepare. Have this ready. Have that paperwork ready. This is how long it will take. This is what you need to do. This is how things will wrap up. These are next steps. I, I was here's a they sent an image of who was showing up at my door, so I wasn't going to be thrown. They texted me, they emailed me, they called me, you know, and it was like that. You know, they started a great experience during the buyer journey, and I, you know, and then I, I can only assume that whole experience is going to be like that. I was very impressed. Well, that's the only thing you have to work with. And so you you alluded earlier mm-hmm. to the the information you said you got from an operating partner at one of the private equity firms and you, and the, the numbers, cause I've done a little research in this area, that some of that initial groundwork comes from Gartner and the number is something like 70 plus percent of buyers in the B2B space are well down the buying, think purchasing process, not selling process. They're well down the buying process by the time they ever reach out to a salesperson. And there's sometimes as much as 70 or 80% complete with the buying process before they call out and reach out to a salesperson. Very similar to what you were describing in the consumer world, right? That these two worlds used to look very differently. They now have collapsed and they now start to behave the same way. 
your experience with your contractor to do remodeling work, identical to an experience I went through last month because I was doing a big landscape project. I went with the more expensive landscape architect because he was using, and I'm biased, he was using technology to do his estimating. He had a little app on his phone. He walked off the, the yardage in my backyard where somebody else had this tape measure. And it just gives you a lot different level of comfort about, okay, I can, I know what to expect. I know what's going to happen. I feel better about this. And everything didn't go perfect, but I knew where we were in the process, to your point, as opposed to having buyer's remorse or ruminating about what's going to happen next. And I think this is already filtering in and has been filtering into the P2B space for a long time. Absolutely. And, and thank you for sharing that example. You know, when I interview customers of companies I work with, the customers tell me they want to be held accountable. You know, I don't know about you, but I got a lot going on on my plate every day. I've got text messages. I got Slack. I got WhatsApp. I've got emails. I got phone calls. And, you know, I need a way to be held accountable because I'm going to forget. And, you know, rather than kind of hoping, hey, Mike, when are you going to you know, finish that task that you have to do. Like, you know, they want that visibility. They want that transparency. They want yes. that accountability. And in the consumer space, you know, I just got a text saying, your package is shipped from a, from a, some some uh, apparel I purchased. And, you know, that's what we're used to now. We're, we, we're used you to You know, yeah. I can see, oh, it's in Des Moines, Iowa. It's landed in Oakland. It's going to be here Thursday afternoon. Like, I, I see that whole journey happening. And, and so in a B2B space, we... We need to deliver that kind of uh, experience as well. So let me ask you this. Based on your experience, been doing this for a while, you've written a book about it, you continue this work. Do you see the, the lag factor here is one? We know it's not technology, right? Especially in the tech space, that all the tools are there. So what is, what's, what's the resistance? What's taking, why isn't this further along? Why isn't this accelerating and moving faster, do you think? I have, I, I have, I, I, I wonder that a lot. There's in the tech space, there's a lot of focus on the product rather than the customers and the users, maybe because oftentimes tech companies are founded by technical people. And so there's a lot of evangelism about the technology. I also feel we're still stuck in an old sales paradigm where it's all about that, that initial sale rather than, you know, the reality is McKinsey says, like growth happens after the initial sale. So it continues to surprise me that sales teams have so much power. And then I, if I can put a challenge out to the product managers, product marketers, I would like to see us, you know, most products are developed in an agile and iterative way. Now, you know, we got two week sprints, four week sprints, maybe six week sprints. But then on the deployment side, they're monolithic, taking weeks, months, you know, because sometimes years to deliver any value to new customers. I, I, the challenge is to create phased deployments where customers are getting value in a matter of days or a handful of weeks. And so then, you know, they're, they're not sitting around go, falling into uh, the trough of disillusionment, the valley of despair. They're not ruminating, they don't have remorse, but they're, get, they're, they're thrilled. They're, they're high-fiving their teams that they bought your product. And then there's a whole journey of value and product you know, phase deployments where they're getting value along an entire journey. So when you go into a company that's called you in, assume it's a SaaS company, maybe it's in the mid-market, where do you 
concentrate your effort? Are you generally, I guess what I'm really asking, this is a transformation because you already said it. It's, this is more of a transformation of culture. That's what I've heard you say, right? Product-centric thinking, sales-dominated go-to-market and sales-dominated motion. So where do you see the best opportunity or the best success in terms of helping create the changes that need to happen in order for things to look and behave differently? Well, I'm, I work, when I work with companies, I start looking at things from the customer's perspective. So okay. what would be some initial value that we can deliver very quickly, maybe even before the product is deployed? So, for example, I'm working with a company right now. They have a CRM solution. And everything about onboarding is about migrating the customer's data from their current solution to their, their legacy system to the current solution. And there's, there's nothing about, you know, this whole relationship building. There's nothing about, there actually is nothing about the customer in there. <laughs> so I want to really deliver, you know, value. And then that's one. And then two, want to do that in, in, as quickly as possible. And then three, in the most scalable way. I, I want to shift a little bit because I'm curious. I always ask people when they have frameworks and ideas, what's the... What's the optimum time to start looking at trying to adopt some of these principles you're talking about? Is it what size companies does a company need to be? What, what, what kinds of things need to be going on to make this compelling and to create an urgency for it? What, what do you see when you're interacting with clients? Well, if you have customers, you need to be delivering value to them. So oh. at any stage, start thinking about this. And, you know, the orchestrated onboarding framework can be delivered. You know, you could just start with pieces of it, start with a handoff, start with the embark stage. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can mm -hmm. be agile and iterative in how you start to engage customers and how you start to deliver value. I'm all about, you know, trying stuff out, seeing what works, uh, adjusting as you go. Uh, but you need to start thinking of customers right away if you want them to stick around and champion your product. You mentioned you had another project, book project you were working on. And I, I want to come back to that maybe and just let you kind of tell us what that's, what that's about. What's, what's the theme? What, what's the, what are the tidbits, if you will, that you're trying to work through in that, that, that project? Well, I'm in, thank you for asking, Mike. I'm in the uh, research stage and, and it's about how to deliver value to your customers and their users as well as your company and, and the investors. So what I've been seeing, the gaps I'm seeing are that customer-facing teams are not doing, they, they, there's an opportunity to do a better job of really demonstrating the, a measurable impact on the customers. So this year, you know, in particular, customers are really looking at what their, where their spend is. And mm -hmm. if they don't know the value, then they're going to reduce their... The vendor's in trouble spend. at that point. Yes. 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 So really needing to demonstrate that. In addition, needing to do that with the company and the investors because customer, many customer success teams have been reduced or removed because the customer success leaders have not successfully demonstrated their impact on the business in a way that the, the C-levels and the investors really really, you know, resonates. You know, they might be busy. They might be having quarterly business reviews. They might be, you know, having lots of meetings. But if the company doesn't know their direct impact on the bottom line, then they're very vulnerable. And I want to help be part of that right. solution. 
when you sort of think about where you entered product success, say customer success, discipline, best practice, the onboarding specific discipline, best practice, and your research now on value creation. Can I just zoom back a little bit, the broad view? What do you see happening? What kind of trends do you see emerging? What, if you had to put your sense out there, what, what's, what's going on in our space, Donna? That's what I'm really asking. What do you see out there? Well, it's very interesting times, Mike, because we went from a probably the last decade or so has been really growth at all costs. And there's been a lot of low cost or free money being flung around. And so as a result, customer facing teams have not had to really demonstrate this impact on both ways, on the customer and on the company. We, we need to really do this well. You know, it's time to really be comfortable with financials and data and metrics and running, running a very clear book of business. That's critical for this, the future of customer success. And also th that as technology continues to grow, it, 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 you know, that, that the customer, the, the personal experience needs to be included. Those are two mm -hmm. trends that I see. It's no longer enough to have awesome features and functions. It's got to be a lot more than that. I guess the movie title or the, the field of dream movie title and the line from that movie are just about dead at this point, right? If you build yeah, it, I've, they will come. Yeah, I like to say, if you build it, they won't come. No, it's probably yeah. true now. That's probably <laughs> the guarantee that, that they won't show up. So with that in mind, if you were, I don't know, I'm going to give you maybe a title that you may not want, but for the purposes of this audience, let's, let's assume you take this job. You're chief growth officer for a mid-sized company in the tech space, established, has grown on a decent trajectory. What are you organizing and speaking to your C-suite colleagues about, speaking to the board and speaking to the CEO about what we must do in the next 12 to 18 months? What must be done to make us out there ahead of the game when we come out of this cycle? What, what kinds of things are you thinking are priority then? What, what are the priorities for you? Well, first of all, I would really want to look at how we could deliver initial value as quickly as possible. So that might mean looking at how we develop and deliver the product so that customers get that value as quickly as possible. So defining what is first value from the customer perspective and then uh, knowing how long it takes to get there and then uh, making that, reducing that time to first value. So that's critical. I'd, I'd be challenging product teams to, to see how to deliver, deploy the product in phases so that rather than uh, everything being this big, long monolithic deployment and, and also really challenging customer facing teams to, to run their book of business and show the, the impact for the company, the executives and the investors. Really appreciate you stepping in today. I know you've got a busy schedule, a lot of things going on. If any of the listeners want to reach out to you, learn more about your book, stay in link with you, how would you recommend they, they get in contact with you or touch base with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my website is DonnaWeber.com. That's D-O-N-N-A-W-E-B-E-R.com. Weber, like the grill, 1B. And, and you can find me on LinkedIn and I've got ways to connect with me on my website and I look forward to, uh, to connecting. 
That makes it really easy. Just your name.com. That's fantastic. Again, thank you, Donna, for joining us. I've really enjoyed this interaction and hopefully, I'm going to say it out loud, hopefully we can do it again because yeah. I want to hear more about your research project and what you're doing in the next step. To my listeners, I'd like to say thank you for listening in. Thank you for joining us. We always appreciate your downloads. We appreciate your reviews and we appreciate any suggestions you can provide for us to improve this podcast. We take it seriously and we absolutely act on it. I want to say thank you for joining us. This has been Go to Market Disrupt. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.